Welcome, book lovers. Thank you for joining us on Adapted as we go into the wilderness in Wyoming to talk about the adventures of Hugh Glass and in a, in a book called The Revenant, which has been adapted into a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. So stay tuned as we discuss. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We love books. This is Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And I'm Phil Svitek. Um, always a pleasure to do this. This is our fourth episode. Um, but uh, if you like us, you can also check out our, uh, what we'll call our sister show called Anatomy of a Movie, where we dissect movies. In this one, we dissect books. books. Yes. And in fact, we've dissected The Revenant. Um, so definitely check out that episode um, as well. But today... We're less talking about the movie, more so the book. Yeah, the book, The Revenant. And admittedly, I just watched the film just fairly recently. So now that the film was like fresh in my mind, I, I could read the book and understand, you know, the differences and we can compare and contrast. And there are some things I liked about the film and some things I liked about the book more. Interesting. Um, most, only, most notably that the ending is the biggest difference. Yes. Um, which ending did you like? I actually liked the movie ending better. Me too. And I hopefully, hopefully it goes without, um, any sort of warning, but this is obviously going to be very spoiler filled both towards the book and the movie. So if you haven't, uh, read or seen the movie, it's up to you how you want to participate. Um, you've been forewarned, um, but we hope you listen to us nonetheless. Uh, furthermore, if you if you want to download our sort of rundown and notes, feel free in the description box. There's a link. All you have to do is click it. It's a PDF. And uh, you sort of get to follow along, if you will. Yeah. Um, a lot of good information. Some things that we may or may not cover. And, but it's, it's a good uh, source of knowledge if you uh, needed more history on the actual man, Hugh Glass. Absolutely. Well, before we even dive into him, um, just quick thoughts. Overall impression of the book itself. I liked the setup of the book. I think it had a really good, strong 40, 50 pages. And then afterwards, while I'm reading, like after the big moment of where the of the bear attack, I feel like it just kind of, in a way... Uh, plateaued a bit the the entire book because it felt like we were just watching and or more so in the in this sense re reading about his everyday literally day by day struggle of him healing of him moving from point a to point b to point c and i quickly understood you know the the days in day out but then it just kind of got very repetitive a bit mm -hmm. More so, I'm like, okay, what else is happening other than we're just following him throughout the wilderness? Yeah. Um, I, I could see that. Um, you know, I've not really read too many Western novels. Um, I've seen a lot of Western movies, and so it does have that slow pace. Um, obviously, with the novel, you can get more inside the head, So, which I thought overall um, that worked. Um, as far as the book is concerned um you know uh it, it's one of those weird things i was i was very curious to see how it would play out um you, you know hugh glass and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more hugh glass is a real figure 
Now, mm-hmm. whether or not this, there's a lot of debate on the validity of the story itself, um, you know, this one is as, quote, historically accurate as it, as it can be. However, the accuracy of those historical documents is in question. Right. Um, you know, and in, in some sense, I wouldn't have minded uh, if it was a little bit more embellished. Just, to, you know, like no difference than if you're like going to write about Paul Bunyan or um, um, Appleseed or anyone, right. you know, it's just like, just go with it. It's a, let's just make it a fictitious character and really build it up. And I felt perhaps that it, you know, it suffered a little bit by the weight of trying to be, quote, historic, you know, mm-hmm. be too, too by the book. Yeah, I can unquote. understand where you say that. And I believe that too, because. There are some parts of the book that are actually fictionalized, but then when you watch the movie, there are some parts of, of the movie that were just fictionalized for the movie itself. So I, I think this book was the mixture of historical and and fictionalized. It was just an, an amalgamation, and it gets to the point where, like, what's real and what's not, yeah. if we're actually following a real person in real life. And this is um, this is Michael's first book. Um, so far, only book, correct? I believe he, he's actually done a couple more afterwards, but uh, this was his first big, very successful book. Yes. And it's interesting, you know, the reason why it, it's even in question is because he can't really do promotion, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that, but, like, um, uh, you know, because he's an ambassador to the World Trade Organization, anything that's uh, self-enriching, as they say, can't be... You know, he can't promote this, let alone other works. And so it's a little bit difficult to get sort of an information about him other than, you know, where he went to school and so forth. But, you know, this was one of the more challenging ones, which I didn't expect. Right. And I think it's interesting, you know, once we actually get into him. But it's kind of unfortunate because when we're trying to learn more about a book, you by extension try to learn more about the author. But when we know nothing about the author other than, like, certain facts that can only be put out into the world, you it doesn't really translate to the authentic, authenticity of the story <laughs> if the author himself can't really speak about it. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily, a lot of the information that exists has been sort of passed on by his wife. Um, you know, and he actually did grow up in Wyoming. Um, he learned to fly fish there when he was about five and he's built his own rifles and things like that. So, you know, um, he sort of had that that upbringing. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, he was a historical reenactor where he got to dress up in those types of uniforms. Maybe not exactly like those, but at least close enough. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, doing those and going through the motions of, you know, actual past events helps you get into that mindset of what actually happened. And I would totally believe that that gave him inspiration and the origin of trying to rewrite or write a version of some historical truth. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, he's got... And then from there, I mean... Well, I'll I'll say it in this way. Uh, You know, in the novel, they give a backstory on Hugh Glass... And he could have been a lawyer. He could have been this and that. Like, he was being groomed to not be um, a huntsman. But he liked uh, geography. Um, and so his dad was like, okay, well, maybe you can draw maps for a living. Yeah. Um, and he was like, no, no, no. I want to be out there. Right. Um, but and, 
Cart sorry, cartography is a great skill to have, too. I mean, that's what Lewis and Clark were for, there yes. for. And there's a lot of references to Lewis and Clark yeah. um, in, the th in the thing. Um, and obviously that, that played into Hugh Glass's, like, survival because he, he was well aware of the wilderness. But the, the, the point that I'm trying to make is um, it's almost as if Michael and Hugh's lives were reversed. Where, mm -hmm. um, you know, it seemed like Michael started off in the wilderness and then switched over to sort of, you know, essentially being a politician. Right. Whereas Hugh Glass, you know, they wanted to push him in that, and that's where he was going, becomes a wilder. Yeah, man. and and I think that's interesting, you know, kind of where, where life doesn't imitate art, but in a way, because that didn't happen in real life, you might want to write a story about that, a fictionalized version of what you wish you could have been, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's probably where Michael came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he did. Um, I'm sure he heavily identified with Hugh Glass um, and whatnot. Uh, he did. It took him. A, it took him about four years to really write this novel. Um, and he used to do it. He'd, he'd get to the office at like five in the morning and just write. Um, and he said, like, you know, it, it took quite a toll on him because, you know, by the end of it, he was quite tired. Oh, unbelievably so. I mean, he, he had a full-time job of being a you know, world trader. He has a very reputable position in, in life, so that takes up a lot of his time. And the only time he can work on it was early hours in the morning. So you can understand why his writing process was slower than what like full-time writers would do. They would have a dedicated time to sit down and just write, where he was balancing two different careers. Yeah, and I mean his backstory. He went to UMass, then transferred to George Washington, um, and then from there went on to Cor Cornell Law School. Yeah, I mean he's very well educated, and um, he began working for the the senator Max Baucus, and you know, a Democrat of Montana, and then for the senator's interna international trade council. And from there, he just you know kept working in the White House um, during the time of Clinton. And he, uh, while, you know, his career was progressing, he just kept moving up the ranks of, you know, trading. Yeah. Um, and as far as Hugh Glass is concerned, I, I felt it was important to kind of give his backstory. So um, according to the historical record, he lived from 1783 all the way to 1833. Um, and it is most fascinating that, you know, he's most known for having stumbled to the 200 miles um, in South Dakota, you know, and obviously we're not going to talk about this because, um, but there is another adaptation quote of his life. So not of the book, but his life, um, called man in the wilderness made back in 1971. So if you're interested in learning more specifically about Hugh Glass, then that is, um, somewhere you can go to. Oh, and that's very interesting. I've never heard of Man in the Wilderness. I honestly have never heard of Hugh Glass up until the movie and this book and because it happened so long ago, and I feel like the Western stories and, and that time period and that particular location, it's not something I grew up with. Um, so it's I, that's why I enjoy movies and books because they can introduce me to stories that I don't know of um, and that people should know of. Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, I made mention of, like, Paul Bunyan and Johnny Appleseed and so forth, because mm -hmm. while fictitious, at least, like, you know, there's sort of more 
um, easier folklore that, that has been passed on through generations. Right. And in fairness, those are characters that are mostly taught in schools so while you're young, while you're a kid. That's something you're naturally, you naturally grow up with in education. Hugh Glass, unfortunately, is not a story or a man that people were taught. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so as far as the book is concerned, um, what are your favorite parts? Let's talk about that. Um, I well the reading the the biz, the the grizzly bear attack was quite um, I don't want to say actiony but I really got engrossed during like the details of what the bear was doing to the man and he, you know Hugh is just helpless and and as a reader you're like oh man this poor soul is getting brutally attacked by this bear and no one's there to help him and you're reading it and kind of witnessing it along and just as a human to another human um it's like you, you see attack but you can't do anything about it i thought it was written very well um step by step and you can like understand the pain that he was going through and it, it's like as a reader you felt like you were getting mauled by the bear as well um and uh, i think one more moment that like really stood out to me was when he when Hugh was having the encounters and the fights with the Arakawa um mm-hmm. natives. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought um what was interesting to me, I, I didn't I don't think you needed not that it hurt it in any sort of way, but I didn't necessarily need each chapter to have the date and time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I, I felt like he could have just done that through his prose to begin with, uh, the passage of time. Right. Um, and it was interesting, like, how we started with um, with the captain first, who's leading um, this fur trade company, and then we slowly get introduced to Hugh Glass. And I thought for sure um, that we would build up Hugh to be this larger-than-life character, um, and he never really ended up being that in the book for me. No, I completely agree because it was a slow build up to Hugh. You understand the trading aspect and like why furs and all these, you know, provisions in life are so important to survival, especially out in the wilderness. But then when you build Hugh, he just seems like the everyday common man who just unfortunately got mauled by a bear and yeah. you you don't really build up his backstory or where he really comes from all that much to the point where he is the main protagonist. He's just a, a fellow person you're following around throughout a whole book. Yeah, I mean, the thing that makes... Because it's interesting. The thing that makes him special is the fact that he was able to crawl. But, um, you know, and I because I saw the movie and, and sort of read the backstory, you know, ob- obviously you're holding him to a higher weight, but... And yet the book, do, it, it does this odd job where it wants you to think, like, that he is this great character, but it, but it, it, it waits until that moment to really let that be his greatness, which is weird because, I don't know, even if it's something that's like, oh, you know, the guy can shoot, you know, anything from a 200-yard mm-hmm. uh, distance, no problem. Like, it's like, okay. And I get it. Fine. Have it be hyperbole. And he's like, no, I can't really do that. Right. But enough where, like, okay, there's a, you know, just by even people thinking that, there's got to be a kernel of truth to it. Yeah, I completely agree. And we'll get more into the movies, too. But I feel like the movie actually did a better job of building up Hugh Glass' character because in the movie they they made him more of an authoritative figure, like mm-hmm. a person who would lead a, a crew. 
And he, he was someone that people turned to. And he actually saved a bunch of men's life at the beginning of the film. So naturally, as an audience member, you're inclined to trust this guy and believe that he knows what he's doing throughout all this. Um, so you can follow that protagonist throughout a film because you understand he knows what he's doing. And this is just like he's just a man who kind of he knows the, the business, but yeah. no one he, he doesn't really have his peers that see him as an authoritative figure or as a superior. Yeah, I mean, they do have that moment, which doesn't happen in the movie, <coughs> where the captain goes to, to Hugh and basically like, hey, what do we do type of thing. And But it's more of a um sense of you know i just want to i just need you to listen to me because i have no one else to go to and i don't know what i'm doing mm-hmm. versus like hey like you said a, a a figure of authority right right so and i i think it's interesting because as we know um you know Hugh Glass is the main protagonist that you you want to feel but i feel if you're going to follow a character at least build up some qualities that are likable enough and believable enough that this man could survive on his own yeah throughout, like the progression of 7 months now granted you know one of the, one of the differences from book to um book to screen is the fact that in the book he had a lot more help and he interacted a lot more um in his journey right a lot more helping he encountered so many more people i mean it almost felt like um um any of those movies like someone goes on an adventure and just meets people whether it be like the jungle book or anything of that nature of like Mm -hmm. oh okay let's do this um and uh, that's being a little bit facetious and um about it but you know whereas in the movie when the fact that he like he traveled that distance by, by himself, himself. <laughs> yeah, he, you know here he interacted with Indians and 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 the French and so forth and, and women and and all different types of people. In the book, it makes sense of how he actually survived because he had outside sources that every once in a while helped him and get him to the next point. Um, kept you know giving him provisions or feeding him like he would progress more with every person he would come across and as a reader you can believe oh this is how he survived to the next point in his life Um, where in the movie you're just like how the heck is he still alive by himself yeah a hundred percent and uh one let me ask you this in terms of motive right it's called uh revenant a story of revenge um however you know in terms of the revenge it's it's more so because they still it, it, it's a story about robbery versus revenge whereas um what i thought the movie did really well um his motive for really wanting to get fitzgerald who's the antagonist um was the fact that he killed his son yeah. and i thought that was much stronger motivation than uh, in the book, it ends up being like a rifle and a few items, which yeah. uh, he, he justifies as like he was left for dead because it's one thing to abandon Hugh Glass. It's a whole other thing to take away his means of survival. Yeah, and those are big differences, too, because I felt in the book is more they took away his rifle and his his weapons, um, you know, his his tools more so. But those were like tools for survival. That's more they took away his ways to just how to live and then in the movie was they took away his son they took away his family they took away his will 
to live and two completely different because in the book it felt like there was more justice and the movie felt more revenge and revenge just has like a more serious meaning than justice in a way more serious and it goes darker yeah you know what i mean it's it goes down to that level where it like starts to haunt your soul mm-hmm. versus like okay i just have to do this and just, i mean granted like you could look at batman and he's fueled by a sense of justice and obviously he's a very dark character too but yeah um but justice has a more of a legal connotation and revenge has a more negative connotation yeah um but that's why i you know when 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 i think of westerns whether it's um i mean basically any um clint eastwood movie you know Mm, like and most recent like whether it's unforgiven you know everyone just builds these stories about these characters and and then you know, it comes true or doesn't, um, but it's haunting nonetheless. And, and uh, you know, I know I keep going back to that, but I didn't I didn't feel that with Glass, um, unfortunately, as, as much as I would have hoped. Um, I You know, overall, let's, let's talk about the ending because people sort of have, from what I've read, a lot of people actually appreciate the book's ending because that is a stronger moral weight, if you will. Okay. versus the movie but i think the way the movie handles things overall it has a greater impact you know people are saying like his arc isn't as as, as big and i'm like well why do you need a big arc you yeah. know the, the telling of it had a greater weight so who cares right i mean i can understand where people say that about the book um my thing is i feel while reading the book uh, his justice and the reason why he's still after these guys is kind of slowly diminishing with every new person he met that helped him along the way, who gave him tools to survive, who gave him food. Like, at at the end of the book, he was actually fine, and he could have just, like, pretty much been on his merry way and would have been fine. He still had everything back. I mean, he, he could have got guns from other people who gave him. He, you know, he had, he had means to eat. Um, so it felt like he he was actually pretty okay at the end of the book. In the movie, he still doesn't have his family. He lost his son. In the movie, he ha- he lost more in the movie than he lost more in the book. Yeah, and that's something like, you know, when you look at it, as much as he hates Fitzgerald, you know, and neither the movie or the book, Fitzgerald doesn't cause the bear attack. Right. You know, and you're right those are very tangible things in the book that he lost well when you lose a son not a chance in hell you're getting that back right like in the book he lost replaceable things in the movie he lost things that couldn't be replaced irreplaceable exactly and so um so i felt a stronger weight and also let's talk about the ending because in the book (laughs) in like in some funny joking way it turned into this like legal drama Yeah, and I wasn't expecting that either. Um, Not that I minded. I I like the fact that they actually took the time and gave him the proper um, platform for him to stay his case. um, And where the actual law and authority stepped in and actually helped him along the way to get Fitzgerald. Because in the state that he was in, he couldn't physically, he wasn't physically capable of capturing Fitzgerald on his own. Um, so I liked how the, the law enforcement actually helped him and gave him a voice to, you know, state his problems. Where in the in the movie, he did get help at the end, 
but it was more so you're still on your own if you want to get this guy. Yeah, I mean, it had that, you know, um, it had that sense where in the the book-wise, that civilization is sort of necessary um, and that, you know, the movie handles the the relationship much more in like the wild wild west style but if if we're going to look at civilization and what it's meant to do it's meant to protect people and so forth and so it kind of speaks to the notion of like hey you know what we can't really be uncivilized otherwise it's going to lead to um just complete chaos and so i appreciated that but it was interesting how it kind of just all of a sudden i don't want to say shoehorned because obviously it led to it you know but Mm -hmm. but in some sense it did Maybe it's because I saw the movie and I wasn't expecting that turn that it just felt out of left field of like, wait, we're in a courtroom and this is how we're handling it. And furthermore, um, because Hugh at the moment didn't necessarily feel a sense of justice. I mean, the fact that he's in the courtroom and pulls out his gun and shoots Fitzgerald, it's like, OK, well, clearly he's not happy by what's going on. Right. Um, so that that there was a disconnect for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the courtroom, he he got his stuff back. And because that's throughout the book, that's all he really wants is his rifle back, his tools back for survival. And he eventually does get those back, but then near the end is like, okay, but his two-year punishment or however long, or ten-year punishment, sorry, that ten-year punishment for Fitzgerald wasn't enough for him, therefore he had to act out and now actually try to kill him. Where in the well, he's reading. While we're reading the book, he doesn't want to kill him. He just wants justice. And it's well, what infuriated him too was the fact that um, people were buying into um, Fitzgerald's lies. Yeah. So you know, he was having this. So I get it. He was having a sense of injustice of like, hey, wait, I've got a, I, I did this, and now I've got to put up with this guy lying to everybody, and they're believing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he felt a little cheated by the system. So I get it. Um, but nonetheless. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting choice to make. Yeah, and it was frustrating for Glass to go through that when they realize uh, Fitzgerald's way of how he was telling the story. It's, I mean, there was some truth to it, but I felt like some truths were also omitted, and they changed the reason why he abandoned him or X, Y, and Z. Um, so, like, I, I get that, and. If he wanted justice, they're they're in court, so he actually is getting that the legal mm. justice. But in the end, it wasn't enough for him. Apparently, yeah. um, as far as the actual text is concerned, um, I thought overall really well written. Um, you know, albeit a simple sentence structure, I thought it worked for what the book was trying to be. Right. Um, it was descriptive where it needed to be, but overall, I think you know you've sort of pointed out in a different way. It just flowed and moved, you know, at a very good pace. Absolutely, I did like the voice of this because it was third person, and I felt like it really helped with the past books that we've covered in the show. I feel like all the books come from different people's perspectives, and we always have to bounce back and voice um, back and forth, like whose voice are we reading now? And this book is very straightforward. Of it's third person. We understand who's doing what and when and where. And especially with all the people that Glass is encountering, um, it, it makes sense of like, okay, this is this person, this person's good, this person's bad, or this person we sh- should trust, uh, you know, 
so on and so forth. So I I understood this book. It it flowed like you said in very and it it did move forward. Sometimes there were moments where it moved really slow, but we were still progressing throughout the whole film. Yeah. Yeah, film book throughout the whole book. Um, we were always moving forward. Yeah, you, you know, with a movie, you have the ability to slow down time, and I think what what, what I realized about this book, especially the bear attack. You know, um, he had a good way of playing in real time. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it could have just been like the bear attacked him, slashed his throat, um, you know, slashed his skull and blah, blah, blah. But the, the gruesomeness of, of the words, very simple, but he, he just kept it going and going. And that was his way of really slowing down time. Yes. And I think you, you mentioned that uh, the book had all the, the dates Mm-hmm. And I think that also, in a way, you, you didn't. It sounds like you didn't really I didn't need, need it, it, but in a way, for the book, it did slow down time. When you know how long it actually took him to actually fully heal, or he, you know, heal as much as he could by the end of it, that took seven months. And we were reading day by day of his slow progression. Like this day, he could walk. This day, he could now lift his arm. This day, he could do this, you know? We saw that physical progression of him actually healing. Yeah. And the movie, I mean, I I couldn't tell you the timeline. It seems like at most two weeks. Yeah. In the movies, it seemed very quick. Just long days. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the movie. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's first Oscar win. Yes. As an actor. Good for him. I mean, he he was put through the ringer in this one, and I will applaud him. Um, he's a great actor. You can see all of his other accolades, um, which we won't fully get into. But it was a much-deserved win for everything that... I mean, he ate a real bison liver. And he's a vegan. <laughs> yeah. like I mean, that that's method acting, and so good for him um, to go through the motions of what Hugh Glasswood actually had to do in real life. Um, And he wasn't, and Leonardo wasn't fully actually mauled by a bear, so. Yeah, that was, in fact, um, a series of pulleys and green screens and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, But really well done overall. Um, You know, and I just appreciate how they they did treat this. Um, I felt they simplified the the book overall and and yet gave life to other characters, enriched them, right? They sort of took away a lot of characters, but the characters that were left there, they gave them more to do, um, which I appreciate, like, in particular, the Native Americans wanting to find their daughter and the French uh, tradesmen sort of being um, this MacGuffin. Mm -hmm. um, I I appreciate those subplots and how it played into a greater whole because that certainly comes back with Hugh Glass. Yeah, and I actually like the fact that they there was less people in the movie because once we did see people, you can understand their role. Um, and I felt in the book there were so many people I couldn't remember uh, which tribe was actually a good tribe, which tribe was an ally, or which tribe he should run and hide for his life. And then all the people he was meeting in between. I, I felt like when there's an onslaught or, or like a two too many people to know then you won't remember anybody and what they did um and for the i I feel like there was maybe like three moments throughout the film where he met someone that was actually crucial to his process yeah well speaking of um 
the characters and so forth. Um, let's talk about the portrayal. Who um, who do you think was most spot on in terms of the movie um, based on what you read in the book? Um, I I think uh, Bridger was Bridger. Yeah, Bridger um, was very similar, very uh, consistent because in. In the movie, you can tell that he was having like some moral dilemma, but yeah, he still chose to abandon Glass. Um, but you saw, but he's not like a terrible guy. He just did a terrible thing, and he was swayed and peer pressured by someone else um, for him to do a terrible act. But he himself, I don't feel like, is an actual nefarious person. Um, I well, think in the book, they certainly, in, yeah, yeah. They, they treated him so differently in the book. They did, yeah. Boy. Um, but the, but the spirit of who he was as a person, yeah, I, I agree with you. And um, Will Poulter, I think, definitely nailed it. He's got this, like, innocent face about him. Maybe because mm-hmm. I've seen him in um, We're the Millers. <laughs> yeah. And he's such an innocent character in that that it's just kind of stayed with me. Right. And Will Poulter is actually a great actor there. He can play such a nice, lovable guy. But then his next role, he can be the biggest a-hole, such as Detroit. He yeah. was the biggest racist person in in that film so i think that's just good acting when you can do two extremes in that way yeah um dom hall gleason for me as captain henry i thought he pulled that off really well where you know both what i appreciated in this there was that sense in the book and the movie that they were able to keep that he wasn't quite as put together as people gave you know thought and the kind of you know, I mean, Fitzgerald kind of knew that, and so forth. Um, but I, I loved his portrayal of Captain Henry. Yeah, I, I, I love Donald Gleason. I've seen just about everything he's been in. I think he's an amazing actor, and he's a chameleon, mm-hmm. <laughs> like our Anatomy of a Movie co-host Dimitri Panis always says. He is a chameleon. Um, he's a great actor because he can do so many different things: small roles, big roles, and. Um, I think he just nailed the performance. I, I liked his portrayal of of Henry because there were moments where you can tell as a superior manning all those guys that you could tell when he was upset with his crew members yeah. and did the right thing as a leader. Like, you did injustice to one of our men. You're going to be punished, and I believe that. But there were also moments where he just seemed like that nice guy that you could be a friend to. Yeah. Um, Tom Hardy, I thought, pulled Fitzgerald off so perfectly. Yeah, he was great in the film, and we watched the film together. I think Tom Hardy did a better job uh, playing Fitzgerald in the movie than in the book. Yeah, he he was able to pick out these small nuances and and uh, obviously breathe life into the character, and you could just see... I mean, just visually... Uh, you know, he, you, you sort of got the sense that, um, you know, when you see a rat and you just want to kind of kill it, <laughs> it's not that like, you, you don't want to be a bad person any sort of way, but like, you know, it's just, it's just a natural inclination with Fitzgerald, you kind of the same way that it was described in the book where like people didn't trust him. All it took one look at Tom Hardy as John Fitzgerald to go, I kind of want to kill him. Yeah, and uh, we were together when we we watched this film, and I watched it for the first time. And I believe, like, early on in the movie, I said out loud, I was like, no, Tom Hardy is too bad of a character. He can't live. 
Like, if he lived at the end of the film, spoiler alert, if he lived at the end of the film, then that that's not a satisfactory ending. He was so good as, at being an antagonist that he had to die. You wanted him to die because that would have been satisfactory to an antagonist to a protagonist. Yeah. I agree. And then, um, you know, the thing that we talked about earlier, Leo just as Hugh like, Leo himself has such a presence and what I appreciate, they they did make him that larger-than-life character that I felt he should have been, that mm-hmm. he wasn't quite for me as in the book. So I thought that was, ironically, the biggest change, which, you know, makes kind of sense, I guess, because he's the main character. So if, you know, you're going to tweak anything, it's probably going to be the main character. Right. And I think Leo, he's great at drama, and we know this. And I think because they gave him a more dramatic storyline in the movie, Losing a Son... Um, it takes a better actor to actually emote those feelings of loss and pain. And uh, Leo did that so fantastically in this film. And that that's, I mean, that's another reason why he won the Oscar. Because he, got, he can get to such emotional depths from a character that was fabricated more for the film than it was in the book. Yeah. And just, you know, um, as far as wanting to, it, it's interesting how this movie got optioned <clears throat> even before it was actually published. Um, it, yeah. it, it got published in 2002, but it got uh, optioned back in 2001. By Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, huge. So to get optioned so early in um, in the writing stages or just like the publication of a book shows that it's a very successful book already. And we've done, on our sister show, Anatomy of a Movie, we, we've done movies that have been adapted into books, but very rarely do they get, um, you know, option for rights so early on in the process. Unless you're like a Stephen King with a right. history of just <laughs> novels. <laughs> like, boom, done. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, it's just, one of the things that was interesting... Um, Michael kind of walked away from this. Like, I, he's familiar with the bureaucracy of DC, but Hollywood has a whole different experience for him. Right. Because if you, you know, the movie didn't come out until 2000, well, technically 2015. Um, it got released in December, but then everyone kind of saw it in, in January of 2016. Um, it, it's, that's a long process. That is, and to, you know, be optioned by Warner Brothers to be, you know, and to go through the hands of so many creative people, um, I mean, they already got the rights, but then when you translate it to film from book to script, obviously so many things changes because once you give your rights over, yeah. the move, like the producers can have any which way they want with the characters and the storylines. And we, we see the things that they changed and the, the creative liberties they put into it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you talk about the, the filmic elements of the novel, um, it's when, whenever you talk about a story of revenge, you know, generally those are going to be Westerns. And Westerns are very visual and e- not easy to make, but, the, you know, they're, they're overall simple in their storyline, their motives, mm-hmm. and it's just fun to tell. I, again, I can't, I can't stress enough how much I love Westerns. And then when you throw in um, a bear attack and things of that nature and, and the various battles, um, yeah, you kind of, you, you know, um, 
You're kind of like a kid again wanting to play Cowboys and Indians, just on a grand scale. Yeah, understandable. Um, I think the bear attack was one of the things that visually could be shown very well, and I think that's what the the film did so well. And because, you know, reading it, you get the step-by-step details, but watching it on screen just kind of brings it to life and makes it more real. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm actually watching someone get decimated right now. And, and I thought that was a... a I don't want to say neat moment, but an interesting moment that you, that could translate very well onto screen. And it was, you know, even though they had it in the trailer for the movie itself, um, nothing prepared audiences for the length of time that we were going to see this bear attack and the brutality at just this. And, and there was a part where you're like, okay, great, it's over. Nope. And nope. It, it, it borrows it from the book where it's just like, boom, we go again. You know, round two, round three, whatever the case is. Yeah, you think it's done, but no, the bear comes back once more. Um, so don't ever mess with the mama bear. <laughs> Hence the reason why there's the term mama bear. Um, I, I think it was just executed so fantastic on the movie um or in in the movie that like that that is the i think that's one of the reasons why they probably wanted to translate this into a movie so the thing i did actually lose out though um in the movie was sort of the inner workings of everyone's mind of like okay we got to go here we got to do this um you know the reasoning behind certain choices which obviously Mm -hmm. you can't explain like you're not going to be there in the movie and be like well, I should probably eat some roots so I can uh, survive somehow, uh, you know, because I try to eat meat and I can't eat meat because of my throat, right. um, you know. Yeah, I, unbelie- uh, I, I believe that, too, because there were moments where uh, earlier on when like, he was just more recently attacked by the bear in the book, he was starting to just have these uh, illusions that other nature um situations would happen to him that would cause death like the snake um reading this dream this daydream of a snake attacking him and killing him was terrifying (laughs) for anyone like and i'm not really afraid of snakes but reading it i would not want to be in his position being attacked by snakes either um and that i mean that wasn't shown in the movie but there was another illusion in the movie that played more to the the loss of his son and you can understand like he just wants to to see his son and be with him. Um, so they they translated like different illusions in different ways, but I didn't mind it actually. Yeah, and uh, in the movie they they sort of made this distinction. They gave him a moral code, if you will, where like as long as you have breath in your body, you keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't the exact quote, but it's the sentiment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you kind of understood his life motive, and then when he's dealt with this specific situation. Okay, now that kicks into full gear. Mm-hmm. And survival motivation. Yeah. All right, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think the movie did a great job in um, showing the terrain of Absolutely. the vastness. Because when you're reading in the book, it says, like, now he's here this one day. But you don't really get the visual scope of how long and how far he actually traveled. I mean, they said, like, what, 200 kilometers 200 miles yeah 200 miles i mean that's that's a very long distance in for a human especially on foot but in the film they actually showed the physical terrain of what he covered and i appreciated that more knowing what he actually physically went through yeah i i agree obviously uh, the cinematography is very much praised um in the movie um 
So right. much that it won an Academy Award for it. This was a very good movie with a lot of awards, certainly. Um, Alejandro Inaritu. Inaritu, gorgeous. And if you've ever seen Birdman 2, go watch that. Um, or if you haven't, go watch it. Uh, yeah, the I mean, it, it was one of the big movies of 2016 for Academy Awards. Leo won his uh, for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Alejandro Inaritu won for Directing. And Emmanuel Lubezki won for Cinematography. I also got film editing, sound mix, um, visual effects, production. So for nominations, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was. Um, it's a beautiful film. It really is. Oh, absolutely gorgeous! All right, well, um, that about does it for the Revenant here on Adapted. Next time we will be doing Never Let Me Go, yes. a 2005 novel um, adapted into a movie of the same name. So um, if you appreciate what we do, read the book or watch the movie, whatever you want. Yeah, Never Let Me Go. It's a beautiful film um, and a more interesting book, I, I think, as well, because it's a good look at humanity. It's about love, friendship, and the meaning of what, what it actually means to be human. <laughs> so it's, it's a mind-bending type of book. All right. Can't wait to talk about it with you. So that's what we got. Um, up next in our past library, we've got uh, the Jungle Book, we've got the Prestige, we've got um, Hugo. We've got Hugo. So um, check those out slowly but surely. We're filling out our, our uh, library, mm-hmm. pun intended. <laughs> um, but thank you guys for joining us. As always, feel free to also comment about this. Feel free to comment uh, suggestions for movies slash books that we should talk about. Obviously, they have to be a book that has been turned into a movie. Yes. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely take your recommendations because we like reading. Yes. Um, anyway, thank you guys. This is, uh, Marissa Serafini at Serafini TV. That's Anything right. else you want to promote? Um, and we, we've covered The Revenant on Anatomy of a Movie, and we've covered a lot more movies that have also been books before, so go check those out as well. Absolutely. Um, that includes The Hunger Games, that includes the Stephen King novel It, mm-hmm. um, all those. Anyway, um, I'm Phil Svitek. Go to philsvitek.com if you want to see my work and follow me on social media and all that. Thank you guys as always. Appreciate you guys and keep tuning back in. Bye. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in.